Welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves. As always, I am joined by my tag team partner from Monday Night Raw, the fighting Irishman himself, Kevin Patrick. KP, the time has finally arrived. Money in the bank is upon us. It is indeed. I was about to do the yes boy again, but after completely embarrassing myself Monday night, I said I'd never do it again, but I just did it, Gravy. I Listen, just did the it. first part about embarrassing yourself is accepting it. The second part is just making sure you don't do it again. It's that easy. This is coming from a guy who embarrasses himself on a regular basis, just in consistently different manners. But we own it, though. We own it. Listen, it's such an exciting weekend. It kicks off tonight with Friday Night Smackdown Gravy, where there's some massive matches to come. Charlotte Flair taking on Oscar for the WWE Women's Championship. Sami Zayn and KO against Pretty Deadly as well for the Undisputed Championship. Before Money in the Bank starts tomorrow at the sold-out O2 Arena. Man, it's going to be fun. Let's go through the card for Money in the Bank, shall we? No doubt about it. We've got a ton to get to. Not nearly enough time. We have got Finn Balor headed your way, eager to share his thoughts on this weekend's World Heavyweight Championship match with Seth freaking Rollins. And uh, we may or may not have a little surprise in store for the ATB faithful coming your way. But let's start at the top. The bloodline civil war begins. It's impossible, KP. You and I have learned as much fun as it is to speculate. That's all we can do. We have no inside track. We find out what's going on within the bloodline at the same exact moment that the rest of the WWE universe does. All we can do, sit back and watch. I'm just going to throw this little caveat at you. It is the beginning of the Civil War. I will be shocked if it reaches any type of conclusion this Sunday in London because I have a feeling that this Civil War could last a long, long time and have just as many wild twists and turns as the genesis of the bloodline till we got to this point yeah and and the bloodline right now is looking pretty thin when you see paul Heyman walking out with solo sokoa roman reigns last friday night on smackdown tonight again roman is back looking pretty thin but you always say a gravy they are as deep as they are dangerous and we don't know what the bloodline have planned here this episode is brought to you by atlassian atlassian software like jira Confluence and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. We found out this past Monday on Raw that Matt Riddle will challenge the ring general Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship. This, you and I were talking before we hit the record button this morning. This has the potential to steal the whole show, no? Yeah, big time. Hard hitting. You know, Riddle Riddle is just so polar opposite in, in every way to what Gunther is, with the way he approaches life, this laissez-faire attitude, the original bro versus the militant Gunther. But in terms of the hard hitting match that we're going to see, it's going to be a banger. It's going to be Sheamus and Gunther a Clash of the Castle style hard hitting. Not only that style of hard hitting, I cannot wait for the atmosphere. I cannot wait to hear the energy from the WWE Universe inside the O2. Remember how loud and incredible it was in Cardiff, Wales. It's a smaller venue, so the sound's going to bounce around a lot more, but I guarantee you everybody is going to be screaming at the top of their lungs as Gunther and Matt Riddle beat the holy hell out of each other. Let's be honest. That's what we're all looking forward to, and I feel very confident in saying that is what we are going to get. Uh, Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler, the women's tag team champions, We'll defend against Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez. Of course, Liv returning from injury. How do you see this one playing out, KP? So this is one, this is probably the match I'm nearly looking forward to the most, in a way. There's an infectious enthusiasm about Liv Morgan. When she comes back alongside Raquel, I loved when we had them here on After the Bell. And if you haven't listened to that episode, revisit it. It's wonderful. They complement each other so well. But what we're seeing from Shayna and Rhonda, I mean, they were living together 13 years ago. They're doing something. Rhonda, at least, is doing something she'd never done before in her incredible career, her outrageously successful career. So they'll break things. They'll, they'll tear limb from limb, as Shayna Baszler always says. But there's something special 
about Liv Morgan and Raquel. And I can imagine the O2 arena will be totally and utterly behind Liv and Raquel. And I like the momentum of the champs having just unified the NXT and WWE Women's Tag Team Championships. It seems like we've gone around the world to get across the street, but it takes <laughs> us back to, to your point, to the episode that we had with Liv and Raquel and how they wanted to really define the women's tag team division. Obviously, injuries happen, Liv taken out of the equation, but it's almost as though Ronda and Shayna picked up where... Liv and Raquel left off or hoped to have gone. And I think that at the end of the weekend, we will have nicely defined, very credible women's tag team champions. And I think it's healthy for the division as a whole. And if we're talking women's division, who you got, KP? Women's money in the bank ladder match. I was in the ring in the summit for about 35 seconds on Monday night till it all broke down. The man, Becky Lynch, was the last woman standing Monday night. How do you see this playing out? Yeah, I saw you bailing from the ring as well. I'll Heck tell you yeah, what, man. You, you didn't I'm retired. Hang I'm retired, man. And I, I was worried Becky was going to give me one of those infamous throat punches. Yeah. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of distraction in this match, especially for Becky Lynch. Listen, she's got a lot of people looking at her and going after her. There's something about EO for me right now. The EO may learn from the mistake she made on Monday night where she was too worried about taking out the field and then she left Becky Lynch standing on the inside. I, I can't see EO making that same mistake again. EO's someone who, who I think has a big chance. And then the influence is always stark. In favor of Trish, you know Trish is going to use Zoe in every way possible to get that money in the bank contract. I'm going to throw a curveball at you, KP. I'm not going to say that you're wrong or that I necessarily disagree with you, but I picked Zoe Stark the night she qualified for the women's money in the bank ladder match before the field was complete, certainly before Trish Stratus was added to the equation. I still stand by that pick. And I think rather than everybody is expecting Zoe to help Trish capture women's money in the bank. I foresee the roles reversing. And I think Trish Stratus wants to put her stamp on Zoe Stark and take credit for helping define and create a new bona fide WWE superstar. And then maybe turn on her like six weeks down the road. But I'm saying I think Trish can put another feather in her Hall of Fame cap if Zoe is the one to succeed in the women's money in the bank ladder. Interesting. Interesting. I like that. I just like to, you know, explain my skewed view of the world. And on the men's side of things, there are not just six. There are seven with the addition of Logan Paul. Who grabs the contract, KP? Ricochet. Yeah? I think, yeah, I think, I think Ricochet is the type of fella that I, I just believe the O2 will want him to win. They're going to be behind him. He is supernatural. Uh, he, he's capable of probably springboarding off the ropes and grabbing the damn thing. I mean, Ricochet is capable of the of what we would deem impossible as mere mortals. So I'm going to pick Ricochet as my favorite. What do you think? If you'd asked me this question several weeks ago, I would have undoubtedly given you the answer. L.A. Knight. Yeah. Unfortunately, Logan Paul has joined the chat. And what we've seen from Logan Paul is the dude thrives in big moments. Logan Paul holding a guaranteed contract for a championship match at the time and place of his choosing is box office waiting to happen. Also could really play into Logan's favor because we always know it's a heavily promoted event. Anytime Logan Paul comes to town, maybe that's the, the shroud of mystery that Logan Paul needs to successfully cash. And we've seen him take Rollins to the limit at WrestleMania. Obviously Rollins wasn't champion yet, We saw Logan Paul take Roman Reigns to the limit in Saudi Arabia, came up just short. Imagine if Rollins or Reigns or whomever that may be who holds the title at the moment cannot prepare for Logan Paul. Dude, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for Logan Paul to hold either the World Heavyweight Championship or the Undisputed WWE Universal Championship. I wouldn't be surprised if Logan Paul had all of those titles, all three plus Paul Heyman, plus a few cousins. Logan Paul takes over the Island of relevancy. Like he did Puerto Rico. Well, Becky said it here on after the bell. She said, there's nothing like the power of the person that holds the money in the bank contract and being able to toy with these champions around WWE. Logan Paul would revel in that sort of an opportunity to just walk the ring every now and then show up whenever he wants strike fear into the champions around WWE. It'll be a lot of fun. And hey, Gravy, really quickly, before we move on from this Money in the Bank uh, men's ladder match, I, I want to just shout out some love to Edge 
Hall of Famer, Rated R Superstar, because all this past week I've been loving what we've been seeing on social media. 25 years of Edge. He was the first ever winner, as I mentioned. So I just, just a quick shout out to say, love you, Edge, Rated R Superstar, 25 years. And it's been wonderful reliving a lot of those moments across WWE social media. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And if you're talking about reliving iconic moments within WWE, it's also the anniversary of the night The Undertaker threw Mick Foley off of the cell. It happened here in Pittsburgh, where we're coming back for payback in September. Lots of goodness to consume as we march toward the Money in the Bank event. Uh, We mentioned a surprise moments ago, and there's also a match that we haven't talked about yet, and I'm going to get there. But while we're talking Money in the Bank-centric things, we here at ATB... Kevin Patrick, myself, and our esteemed crew have taken it upon ourselves to provide you with a Money in the Bank appetizer, a surprise, a former Mr. Money in the Bank himself and world heavyweight champion. Please welcome Big E. Big E, let's talk Money in the Bank, man. You have the distinction and the honor of having been Mr. Money in the Bank, successfully cashing in your contract to become WWE champion. Let's go back a few years. It's been uh, almost two years now since you captured the briefcase. To the best of your recollection, I know a lot of life has happened in between now and then. What was going through your mind? What did it mean to have the opportunity to be in Money in the Bank and then eventually make the climb and hold the contract? Uh, man, it was massive. Uh, really, really just one of the most special things that I've ever done in my career. Uh, obviously, you know, I really cut my teeth as a tag team wrestler, as a member of a faction for a long time. And I think when you're in a group so long, you are, we, we did, obviously, you know, we've talked about our story so many times, but the three of us were so used to do everything for the group, you know, and it was always about that. So this was a departure from that. And, you know, I was really happy with my career in many ways and all the things that we had done as a collective. But I also got to a point where I felt like I could, I could give more and I wanted to do more and it was time for a change. So to get this opportunity to do a solo run, um, to start building some momentum, uh, you know, we had the IC title stuff with uh, Sammy and then with Apollo for a while, uh, maybe a little bit too long. You know, Apollo and I were back and forth uh, for four months, but that is not at all an indictment of Apollo. I think he's so amazingly talented. And there are times where, you know, we were we thought things would go a certain way uh, with our rivalry um, and maybe it didn't conclude when we thought it would. But I would say that dude is so incredibly talented that if you're going to be in a program for too long with someone, you want it to be with someone of that caliber who is just incredible at what they do. Uh, so yeah, so we did all that stuff too. And then finally getting the chance to uh, go after the briefcase, to be in that match. For me, one of the really cool things is, you know, we were really, a lot of this stuff was being kicked off once we finally got back in front of crowds. And I will tell people time and time again, uh, we did our very best during the pandemic, during the lockdowns uh, with a Thunderdome, but there is nothing like doing what we do in front of people. There is no replacement for it. Uh, I think of Drew all the time. I take my hat off to him because he held us down during a really tough time, but he never really got the acclaim of being champion in front of, you know, tens of thousands of people uh, like he should have. But it was really special because I got to have that moment in front of fans. Um, the really cool thing, too, is I love the lineup. When I saw everyone that was going to be in that match, for, uh, for Money in the Bank, just stacked with so many incredible performers, so many guys who could credibly be world champions, so many guys who just added so much to the Money in the Bank match as well. Uh, so that was the thing, too, is just, uh, you know, you don't ever winning a title, winning a briefcase, winning a championship is is amazing. But you also want the match itself to be amazing. You want to capture people's uh, emotions. You want them to be invested. And those guys did uh, such an incredible job of delivering an incredible uh, super athletic, super entertaining, unique match. So that match was, was really special too. And just thinking about, you know, obviously, you know, Seth Rollins is a living legend. Uh, I've known him since I think he got to FCW around 2010. And uh, I have so much respect for him as a performer. And the fact that he was the one who was the last one up that I ended up hitting the big ending off the ladder onto uh, to take that moment away from him to then uh, get it and not be met with, with booze either. That was nice right, as well. Right. You, you yeah, never know. Gone, it could have gone it, very differently. It, it could have gone south for me. I, and that's the thing too, is you have to roll with the punches with things like that, but to have such a resoundingly positive, you know, 
uh, feedback from from the fans to have them respond the way they did uh, was really amazing. That moment is special of just knowing the moment I have him hooked and I know we're going down and it's just me on the climb up. I, I think about that moment. I replayed it so many times, but it's a special, special moment. Uh, and the biggest thing, too, is so I'm not very comfortable with heights. Uh, and getting up there, I just wanted to make sure to not look stupid, to not take too long with the, uh, opening up the, uh, the little, I don't know. Carabiner, what the yes, there we yeah. go. Yes. And I was just so happy. I had a, a slight struggle. <laughs> and for a second, I said, dear God, let this be the only one. <laughs> and thank God I finally got it. Unhooked. Because that was honestly, of all the things in the match, you know, you have people hit by the ladder and, you know, they're worried about that. Of all the things I was worried about, it wasn't the bumps. It wasn't anything else. The biggest worry was don't fumble with this carabiner. Don't That's do it. That's amazing. That's so, such I'm a so, high so pressure glad. situation. Yes. All the carnage, chaos, a car crash of humanity. And that's the one thing that's lingering in your mind is make sure the clip opens properly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we, we pulled that off. Talk to I'm us a little bit about that about- as well, by the way. Sorry, Gravy. Just because that, that's where I would have gone too. I mean, you've one final thing to do. Just don't fall. Like you're a big lad. Don't fall on that flimsy little ladder, you know? Hook yeah. it up and make sure you get it. Because if you fumble with it, or let's say if I slipped and I fell down and I climb back up, it's it's done. It's I might over. as well, I might as well walk to the back. Like someone else. You 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 got this. So <laughs> I was very grateful that went smoothly. Thankfully, that part went smoothly. Talk to us a little bit about the chaos that leads up to that moment. Just the environment that is a Money in the Bank ladder match. You've been in ladder matches before, a lot of superstars have, but there's something different. There's a tangible energy when it is money in the bank because the stakes are so high. There are going to be multiple ladders. There is going to be chaos. And you're in there with six or seven or five, however many other top tier superstars. This isn't just some, you know, mid card act, so to speak. This is this is a bunch of main eventers. What, what's that whole environment like from your perspective when you were competing in it? Well, I mean, it's massive because by far it was my the biggest match of my career outside of the New Day, like leaps and bounds. I never had a world title shot. I had never been in a position now. And you know what this means. And sure, there are guys who've had the briefcase and they failed to cash in. But you know that this means you're on the cusp of being a world champion. And that that is rarefied air. There are so many incredible guys in this business, men and women who have walked in and walked out, had legendary careers. And we're never world champions. So I know the stakes are huge for a moment like that, especially as a guy who was seen, you know, a lot of people might say, oh, this is a mid Carter. This is a guy who's been a tag team wrestler, like trying. So for me, I knew this was important, trying to get some credibility, trying to get off the ground as someone people can legitimately see as a world champion. And, no, you know, it really also helped to have I had so many of my peers uh, in interviews and whatnot. So many people had been clamoring for me to become a world champion, to get a title opportunity. So that meant so much to me. And, and like Graves, you know, like we were in SCW together. You remember how green I was, like, you know, how coming in, knowing nothing about the business, trying to learn. So as a guy who was, you know, I, for, for a while I held on to, I'm six feet tall. I'm not six feet tall. And then I said, all right, people won't believe that I'm five. I'm not even, I'm five ten and some change. So for a guy, <laughs> for a guy of my height, with no knowledge about the business coming in and trying to work my way up. Uh, you know, I didn't necessarily have uh, an advocate in the rooms. You know, I, I came in knowing nothing about the business with no real connections. So for me, like to get to that point where now with, with the roster being so incredible, with the roster being as good as it is, and people want to see me as a world champion, that meant so much to me. So, um, yeah, so, so that was the whole thing. Like we wanted going into that match, you want to have the best match possible and you put that on your shoulders. You want to go out there and you want to make moments that people really remember that they hold on to. So that was a day, you know, we, we do this thing on such a nightly basis. So it's not like I was walking around anxious or any of those things, but you know, okay, this is, this is go time. This is, this is a huge moment in your career. You got to bring it. You got to be prepared. You got to bring every single ounce of you, uh, ignore every bodily pain you have. You know, on that day, you have to have the best performance you can bring out of yourself. You managed to summon the performance that you needed to the best of your recollection. Once the carabiner kindly cooperated and you had unhooked it and we're now in possession of the money in the bank briefcase. What was going through your mind when you're sitting on top of that ladder? Man, it's... um. It's one of the things I love about what we do in our craft is I feel like it just forces you to be so present, just completely present. I just remember this moment of, and I'm just picturing it now, of just being on the top of that ladder with that briefcase 
and looking out at people and seeing the sea of people that were rooting for me, that were on their feet, that were clapping. Like that is, I'm, I'm almost about to cry right now because that is such a special moment as performers. What we do, those moments to me, that's, that's what we do this for. Those are, you want to win the titles, you want to make the money, you want to be in these great positions, but you want to make moments. You want to make moments that move people, that they remember, that they could say, oh, you know, five, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I was in the building. I remember that. I shed a tear. I clapped. I texted my buddy, whatever it was. Those, that's why we do what we do. Those are the special moments. So that was the biggest thing is for me, I just remember standing up there, looking out and thinking, man, I got to this position in my career, something that, you know, if I had finished my entire career and never got to be a world champion, never got to hold that briefcase, I still I'm still a part of one of the greatest factions of all time. I still had the opportunity to do so many incredible things. So this moment is so special because I've already done incredible things, but now I'm getting to add another chapter to my story, to my time in this industry uh, feeling all the love from fans. That was a moment that is so special to me. And I want to thank everyone that was in the building, everyone that sent tweets, because as a performer, that's one of the, like, I have a few things that I'll always hold special in the ring, uh, in my mind. And that's definitely one of those things. Yeah, it was Dickie's Arena, Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, the atmosphere was absolutely sensational that day. Big E, this is, uh, we'll talk about the cash in in a second, but this is a hungry field of seven superstars that have never won the Money in the Bank contract. What's your advice? Uh, my advice is just do what you do, man. It's a, it's a stacked field. Everyone knows what they're doing. Like you might be new to this position, but go out there and, and make a memory. Go out there and do something special, man. I, I'm excited about this one because you have, you have some guys who haven't been in this match before. Uh, I got to say, man, as the cool thing about, you know, it's not cool being injured, but the nice thing is sometimes you get off that hamster wheel and you're able to sit back and kind of look at what's going on. And I've never shared a locker room with LA Knight, but watching the way fans react to him, watching on a nightly basis, not just one town, not just a pocket here, but like it's exciting to me to see a guy like that just grow and and see the reaction to him grow and grow. And I'm a fan. I'm an L.A. Knight fan, man. I still and like I remember the first time actually I ever met him was at an L.A. Fitness in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, it was very, very fitting. Imagine uh, that. Know. Yes. Uh, uh, and he was cool. Uh, but again, like that was we just had one interaction. But I'm a fan of, of his work. And he's a guy who I'd love to see him get an opportunity, uh, you know, just have the, the rocket strapped to him and, and see what he can do because he's super charismatic. I think he's refreshing. I think he's fun. But uh, again, obviously, he's not the only one in that match who can who can make a moment that people won't forget. But uh, it's going to be exciting. And London, man, I'm so I'm also so I'm going off on a tangent. I'm not That's answering right. your questions. But it, I'm so glad we as a company, we're having so many of these premium live events outside of the continental U.S. too. You see like that Puerto Rico crowd special. London, I'm sure, is going to be special. First of all, the U.K. is one of the best crowds ever uh, when it comes to what we do in our industry. And to have it in London with, with our business, with our product being as hot as it is, it's so cool to be able to sit back. And I, for a second, I've, you know, for the last 15 months, I've taken off my performer hat and I'm able to put on my fan hat and I can sit back and think, man, these are, these are so many electric, amazing crowds. And I know uh, London is going to be an incredible one. I know they're going to eat that one up. So I'm excited to sit back and watch that match because uh, those guys all know what they're doing. They're ready to deliver and it's going to be amazing. There you have it. Straight from Big E's. Picking L.A. night in London. Let's see how it plays out. Not bad for a little mid-show surprise, AKP. Oh, love that guy. And I was there. I remember interviewing Big E after he won uh, the Money in the Bank. He became WWE champion then shortly after and, and a wonderful reign for Big E. Just love him. As a fella, so unbelievably infectious. You want to be around him at all times. You could never be in a bad mood. One of my favorite human beings I've ever had the pleasure of knowing in this business or even beyond. Got nothing but love for Big E. You can hear the rest of the interview in its entirety right here on ATB next week. Yes, we have Finn Balor coming up in a matter of moments. We told you this was going to be a loaded show, a big one. But the last match on the card that KP and I have yet to really break down, to really sink our teeth into, the American Nightmare Cody Rhodes versus Dominic Mysterio. And I mentioned it as we went off the air Monday night in Savannah, that Dom had better be careful. 
And I borrowed a great line from one of my favorite movies of all time, Tombstone. Cody's coming for you, Dom, and hell is coming with him. Let's be honest. I have as much fun as anybody in the world when it comes to Dominic Mysterio. I get to talk about his prison past and what a gangster, thug, dangerous human being he is. Let's be honest here. Cody Rhodes is going to kick Dom's ass. Cody Rhodes is going to put a whooping on Dominic Mysterio with Money in the Bank. Do you disagree, KP? Well, it's never that simple. I mean, it is never that simple, though. You know that. Like Cody says on Monday, you're not going to have Rhea with you. You're not going to have... How does he know? How do you know, Cody? As far as I'm aware, there's no stipulation right now that's banning Rhea Ripley from ringside. Also, I will say this, to play devil's advocate and, and, and defend Dom here for the first time, Dom's had his way with Cody. Dom's outsmarted Cody. In recent weeks, we're talking about three separate cheap shots when Cody wasn't really ready. And I, I, look, Cody's going to be ready. that's my point. That's my point. Yeah. But, but I mean, he's outsmarted him. So who's to say that Dom, you know, isn't raring to go here? And I, I just don't think it's going to be as simple as Cody devouring Dom. I, I think you've been spending a little too much time around old gravy. You're starting to see <laughs> things from the villainous perspective. You're starting to <laughs> understand how my brain generally you works. corrupted me. About 364 days a year, I have infected KP. Uh, but I, I think this is going to be awesome. And I think the real star of this matchup is going to be the live audience in the O2 in London. They're always loud. They're always fired up. But think of the nuclear reactions Dominic Mysterio has been getting recently all over the globe. And the UK crowds always step up the game. They always remind the world that they are the most intense fans on the planet. I wouldn't be shocked if, if it is like if we could measure it on a decibel level the loudest set of boos that any superstar has ever received, because I fully expect Dominic to receive that before this match kicks off. And God forbid if he wins or in the midst of it, if he even attempts like the three amigos, for example, can you imagine mm-hmm. what the O2 arena will be like? But, but I know that you've got great time for this match and breaking this down just because of how diametrically opposed these two guys are right now. Right, right. As much as they despise Dominic, they love Cody Rhodes. And I say they, meaning the the royal WWE universe as a whole. Generally speaking, always exceptions. Somebody's t- going to tweet me and say, Graves, you're an idiot. You don't know anything. You're the worst color commentator of all time. You should be fired because Cody Rhodes isn't the best of all time. Some unnamed guy from, you know, some corner of the world is going to be their favorite. Regardless, uh, aside from those members of the WWE universe. You're right. The, the diametrical opposition in the presentation and the, the character of both Cody Rhodes and Dominic Mysterio. What's funny to me, KP is in the year 2023, here we are and Cody Rhodes, undeniably one of the biggest stars in all of sports entertainment right now. And he is what we in the business would refer to internally as a classic white meat baby face which is what we used to refer to guys in eras past that were just the good guy, the guy who stood up for what was right, the guy who stuck to his guns, the guy who had great moral character. And that's what we're seeing being cheered vehemently around the globe. It seems like with as jaded as the world is and as divided as everybody is on every topic known to man right now, everybody has their own lane and wants to Swerve over into everybody else's. Everyone sort of unanimously agrees. Cody's our guy. And it just seems so strange to me. And it's so special. And it shouldn't, for all intents and purposes, work. Years ago in NXT, we had a guy named Bo Dallas. He had a a bit of success on Monday Night Raw. And Bo, and his whole thing was Bo Leave. And he was disgustingly optimistic. And you wanted to see somebody punch him in the face because he was just talking about how great everything is and how good things could be. He was that white meat baby face cranked up to 2000 Cody does all of the good guy things, but for some reason, nobody looks at him in a negative manner. They want to root for him. They want to cheer for him. And I laid in bed on Monday night, insert joke here. Cody Rhodes thinks, or Corey Graves thinks about Cody Rhodes in bed. There we go. Go ahead. Have fun with that. (laughs) Well, I was wondering to myself because I'm there. I, I, you, you and I are both there in the arena. We've been around the world and it is as genuine of a reaction as I've been privy to for Cody Rhodes entrance multiple times during the show. It doesn't dissipate. Usually you like to see somebody once and the first cheer is really, really loud. And the next one's not quite as loud because they just saw him. The minute Cody becomes present, the place goes nuclear all the time. And it's incredible. So I'm laying in bed wondering, how is this possible? This guy who comes out in red, white and blue with bleach blonde hair. 
and talks about doing the right thing and in his business suit. Why does Cody connect with the WWE fans? And I don't have the answer for this. All I can do is really speculate from where I sit as a guy who's watched way too much wrestling in his life. Cody has this quality where he speaks to the WWE universe, not at the WWE universe. Cody has mastered the art of making the WWE fans feel like they are part of the team, part of what he does. And it was a skill that that still to this day can't be taught, but hasn't necessarily been leaned into in many years. It used to be a go-to. I mean, think back in the days of Hulkamania, even prior to that, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. Dusty spoke in such a way that he didn't speak like anybody else on the roster or in the business at the time. And he used a lot of sort of jive and the way he spoke, he, he admittedly borrowed from superstar Billy Graham. Dusty talked in a very unique way. And I don't just mean cadence and delivery. I mean, what he was saying, he was the common man. He really embodied that. And he was you know, reaching through the screen, this, you know, reach out the, the hard times promo. He connected. And that's not something you can study. That's something that has to be inherent. You have to grow into that. And Cody has done that. And again, I, I, feel like I'm doing a disservice anytime I draw that comparison because Cody's his own man. But Cody has solved that that puzzle to connecting with the fans. He doesn't come out there and talk about, I'm better than any of you. He is right there with you. I am your guy. And in the era of the internet and social media where everybody's so focused on ticket numbers and, and ratings draws and, and this, that, and the other thing, all the minutia that surround the business rather than what actually steers the ship and drives the business forward. Cody is such an anomaly because he's not the guy doing the the crazy Japanese moves or doing inside jokes that the fans just get. He has his, his little shtick with his fans, his very loyal fans, but it connects with everybody and it resonates even further. And that is what is so magical about what's happening. I think with Cody Rhodes right now, it shouldn't work. Because you talk about the hard times promo, you talk about Dusty Rhodes, right? You even look at a guy like Kevin Owens and why he relates. He doesn't look like your classic WWE superstar. But Cody Rhodes is ridiculously handsome. Cody Rhodes wears probably a $5,000 suit out to the ring. Every time he comes out, if he's not in his, his wrestling gear, he's looking immaculate. It shouldn't work. Yet, when you speak with people instead of at people... It works, right? And Cody comes out, as as you mentioned perfectly there. He also mentioned recently, he said, I wear this suit because I want to be something. And there's an awful lot of truth to that, right? When you you look back at the Paul Heyman promo with Cody and the build-up to WrestleMania and the back and forth about Dusty needing some work, leaning on Paul Heyman, not having any money for his kids, there's something to it where the average person is rooting for Cody, rooting for his success. He's a great-looking millionaire. And he's, he's making waves each and every week, yet everybody still wants him to achieve more. And I think you're absolutely spot on. That's special. And that's not easy to do. And it's something that Cody Rhodes has mastered. And on the other side of the coin, you've got Dominic Mysterio, whom everybody in the world knows. Everybody has met Dominic. And I think that's why nobody can stand him. He's that guy who's not really in the greatest of shape. He doesn't have this phenomenal physique. He's kind of obnoxious. He's entitled. He comes from a wrestling family that he leans on the lineage and then disrespects the lineage. Oh, and he also has the girl that guys around the world dream of each and every night. It's easy to dislike Dominic Mysterio. I think of all the matches on the card Saturday, 3 p.m. Eastern start time, Cody and Dominic may be the most fun the WWE fans have all weekend. That, of course, leads me to our guest, a man who is not out to have fun. He is a man looking to dethrone the world heavyweight champion, Seth freaking Rollins, the challenger for money in the bank of the Judgment Day, Finn Balor. The Prince, Finn Balor, joining us on After the Bell. Finn, welcome, bud. How are you? Kev, good to see you. Graves, it's a pleasure. My two favorite members of WWE's commentary team. So it's an honor to be on the show, boys. You know what, Finn, each and every week, Corey's banging on about baseball teams and we were in Cleveland recently and he's telling Cleveland sports jokes. Now I can finally do the football thing. I can finally start telling jokes about Spurs, (laughs) right? No offense or anything. Okay, if I relate to you 100%, uh, all the American football chat, the baseball chat, the hockey chat, the the basketball chat, it all just goes... Right over, over my head, head mate. So, uh, and it's a criminal. Yeah. It's criminal if we talk about anything but that, right? 
Not America. I, I take offense to that. I am not anti-football or soccer. I'm just not well-informed, KP. You got to give me a little credit. I watched the Come World on, Cup. You and I tried to learn. Dude, the player you talk about most in the world is Zava, a fictional character on Ted Lasso. <laughs> <laughs> I try, all right? Give me, give me an E for effort. Where do you want to kick this thing off, Corey? Where do you want to head into? Do you want to go money in the bank straight away or should we go deep with Finn Balor? I mean, look, we got, we got a lot to get to and we actually have plenty of time. We, we planned it out properly as to give Finn the proper amount of time to fully express his thoughts uh, about all things WWE. I actually want to start uh, a little bit in the past around WrestleMania last year where we witnessed the inception of what we now know as the Judgment Day. Obviously, Damian Priest joins Edge. Finn joins Dominic, Rhea. The pieces have all fallen into place. Finn, how has the Judgment Day changed the trajectory of your career within WWE? Uh, I feel like it's reinvigorated uh, me on a personal level. Uh, I don't really want to speak too much uh, from a professional level because I haven't completed that stage of uh, the journey yet. But uh, I feel personally that uh, I'm back enjoying my work uh, I feel refreshed. I feel invigorated. I feel creative again. And um, it's something that I haven't really had a chance to uh, fully e- explore this type of character in uh, on Raw or on SmackDown. It's something that I wanted to really do on the second run in NXT. Uh, but when we lost the interaction of the crowd, um, it was we kind of had to had to you know tweak and uh, adjust course uh, to kind of change the character because the dynamic of the no audience in the arena is very different uh, when you're performing a match and the cadence of the match. So um, this is kind of the version of the prints that I wanted to deliver uh, in NXT three years ago. So this was a goal prior to the inception of the Judgment Day. The Judgment Day has really just been the vehicle that's allowed you to show this side? Really, this has been the goal since I first put on a pair of wrestling boots. Uh, you know, I was born to be a heel. And, you know, when I started this, you know, at 18 years old, I was... You know, I was a heel for years upon years, and it wasn't until I came to NXT in my first run that I started to learn or to be thought how to be a babyface. And it was something uh, that was kind of very much a, a WWE directive uh, that that's how they saw me, but that's not really how I see myself. Uh, so it's been very much uh, an exploratory um a couple of months for me and kind of getting back to, to what I feel I do best uh, or at least what makes me happiest in the ring. I don't know if it's what I actually do best, but it's what I enjoy the most. So uh, I've, uh, I've really thrived uh, personally in the last couple of months, I feel. Elaborate a little bit about that because your rise in WWE, uh, even back to your time in NXT, was largely predicated on the success of the Demon. And I know how exhaustive and I've seen you in the in the room being painted up for hours and hours. It was wildly popular, great merchandise, action figures, all of those great things. But would it be accurate to say that in a way it, it sort of handcuffed you? Um, it became a crutch. And, uh, you know, I'll hold my hand up and, and say, like, I'm guilty of trying to please too many people and not please myself. Um, and the thing with that character or even a lot of the stuff that I was doing in WWE in general was a result of trying to please too many people, be it the creative team, the writing team, the merchandise team, you know, the promotions team, the tickets team. I'm not really pleasing myself, you know, and when the demon character was conceived in Japan, it was something that didn't really have a rhyme or reason, but it was just something that I felt I could express myself and emote myself better in the moment when I needed to go into that zone. And when you bring it into the WWE universe, it has to become something or it has to have a reason why this happens, why this transformation happens. And I feel like the more you try and explain something, the less sense it actually makes and the more ridiculous it becomes. And for me, that was the crutch that I felt. It wasn't necessarily the the process of uh, the paint or the creative part of trying to execute, you know, a different, unique design every time. It was to trying to keep so many people happy 
and not really staying true to myself and why I was doing it in the first place. Right. Well, see, that makes a lot of sense. But that, that was never something that I think I understood. I, I'd never realized that that was just something that you did for you, more or less. It put you in the, the mental space you needed to be in to step up the game or, or tell that sort of story in Japan. But then when you come to WWE, it becomes for everybody else and less for you. First time I ever met you, Finn. Do you remember you were doing the paint? Tell, tell the folks, what does it take, five hours? It really just depends. Like, if you have three hours, you got to get it done in three. But, like, I normally allow myself six if possible because, you know, you're kind of getting pulled in different directions and we need you here, we need you to go talk to this guy. Hey, can you do a meet and greet with this person? So you're always kind of getting pulled apart, um, like, from what you're trying to focus on. And the whole idea of the paint is to really change the mental mindset that I'm in, to, like, to take things to the next level. And I could do that. Sometimes, but then when you put this into the WWE universe, the match numbers are changing at 4 p.m. You think you're going on sixth, but now you're going on first or vice versa. Uh, So there's just so many things that are changing on the fly in the moment that there's a lot of other distractions that kind of come with being a WWE superstar, not just the wrestling. And sometimes those distractions can take away from the mindset that you're trying to get in to channel this character, this emotion, this frustration. Uh, and it's just something you have to learn to adapt uh, to, to, you know, be successful in WWE. How has the judgment day facilitated that? I mean, personally speaking, I, I know how much time you all spend together. When we talk about it on the air, that you guys are a cohesive unit, you are a team. That's reality. I know you guys are, are inseparable backstage. A lot of you travel together. How has the Judgment Day helped bring forth the best version of Finn Balor? I feel like I'm like the the uncle of the group in a way. Um, Damien's like my brother. Uh, Dominic's like you know my little nephew that I'm like you know taking care of, and uh, and Rhea's like you know Damien's little sister or Damien's like little cousin that you know he's looking out for all the time. So uh, it's you know I know. We, we sometimes refer to ourselves as a family, but it really does feel like that. And, uh, you know, there's an incredible amount of respect for each other. There's an incredible amount of trust for each other. And I feel like the whole unit seems to just have its own, like each individual person is its own individual, but you know, it's at the same time, it's a cohesive unit at the same time. So it's, uh, I, I feel like we just got, you know, lightning in a bottle with uh, with the Judgment Day and the current the current uh, you know roster that we have, and you know, there's it's a little hard to explain, but it just feels right. And um, it wasn't something that was super thought out or like really premeditated, but um, it's something that kind of all just fell into place. And you know, week after week after week, it it grew and it developed, and uh, it, it's became what it is now. Like it maybe a little over a year later. Talk to me about the influence that Edge had on Finn Balor, not only with the inception of the Judgment Day, but leading up all the way to the rivalry that culminated at WrestleMania of this year. I mean, sharing a ring on the same side as Edge or standing across from him, obviously different scenarios, but the man is a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, uh, it goes back a lot further than uh, what you've seen on screen. Um, you know, I've been a huge admirer of Edge as not only a performer, but as a person uh, you know, his whole career. And, uh, you know, we became close many, many years ago uh, when he retired. Uh, you know, I was personally disappointed for the fact that I thought I'd missed out on that opportunity to possibly someday share the ring with him. And I always admired how he transitioned out of pro wrestling uh, so gracefully. Uh, and I thought, if someday I'm going to retire from this business, I want to do it the same way Edge has done it. Uh, obviously, what do, you, what do you mean by that? I, I mean, a lot of people don't transition out of the business as gracefully or with as much dignity as he did uh, when he retired the first time. Uh, and for that, I respected and admired him. Uh, and then on top of that, for him to have the opportunity to come back, that spark that had been extinguished was like reignited with the thought that, oh, maybe this match will happen. And, you know, maybe there is a possibility that I will get to share the ring with him. You know, fast forward three years and 
all of a sudden I'm in like an almost an eight month program with someone who I've looked up to for many, many years, uh, in and outside of the ring. And, uh, despite the, the rivalry or the disagreements or the 14 staples, there's still a mutual respect, certainly from my end, I hope from edges end. And, uh, he started something in the judgment day that has certainly had a profound impact on my career, on Damien's career, on Rhea's career and on Dominic's career. So if not just for him starting the judgment day, you know, there's a lot to be grateful to edge for. I'm sure you're not quite as grateful for the aforementioned 14 staples in your skull. We were all watching on, I was on the call at hell in a cell at WrestleMania when that happens, you are on the grandest stage of them all. You are standing across from a dream opponent of yours, a man you just spoke very, very highly of. And that ladder connects with your dome and opens you up. What's going through your mo- your mind in that, in that moment? Aside from the ladder. So let me talk you through it. So, <laughs> hey, Kev with the jokes. <laughs> so I turn around and I see a ladder hurtling towards my face. And I go, oh, great. Here we go. So slow I motion? Think, Did you see, have that this is all this is all in <laughs> slow motion. Like, you know, the, the matrix slows down and like I'm like Keanu Reeves and I like put my hands up and I go, I'm gonna stop this. But as the ladder's coming, the ladder comes through my hands. It's not like a chair or a book that's been thrown that you just put so the step comes straight through here and the rungs of the ladder are here. So it just keeps coming towards me. But my brain can't understand why the ladder's still coming towards me because I have my hands up trying to stop it. But it's coming through my hands and all of a sudden it's almost at my forehead. I just drop my forehead. It dings me on the top of the head and I go, hmm, that wasn't too bad actually. So like I'm kind of sitting upright and I go, oh, and there's like a, just a little bit of blood on, on, on the tip of my finger. And, oh, just a little scratch. So. I turn over onto all fours, so my head is kind of down, and it's just like drip, drip, drip. And the ref goes, hey, Finn, you're busted open, dude. And I say, yeah, yeah, I know, it's just a little blood, I'm fine. And like I can see him like get a look in a little closer, and he goes, dude, this is a big one. I'm like, oh, I'm fine, it's WrestleMania, I'm fine. And he goes, they're telling me a mayor piece, we're going to have to stop the match, go talk to the doctor. So like I crawl over to the doctor. The doctor's trying to like get in the cell because the cell's all locked and stuff, you know? Right. So I peek out over the edge of the apron and I look at the doc and say, Hey, is it bad? She goes, Oh, it's real bad. <laughs> <laughs> Not what you want to hear in that moment. <laughs> it sounds like it's a lot worse than I thought. So I go, what are we going to do? She says, oh, I'm going to staple it. I'm trying to stay in character going like staple it, staple it. So at this point, the doctors are now laughing because they're going, what the hell is wrong with this guy? He's going, staple it, staple it. Because I don't, I don't want to like, this is WrestleMania and I don't want people to like lose sight of the fact that this is a big match and I don't want pe- me to come out of character. I don't want the people to lose interest. So I'm trying to like stay in character. She, she goes, okay, this might hurt. I said, I don't care. Just put the staples in. I want to go back to work. So she goes, pop one, pop two. Pop three. So I look at her and I said, Doc, can I go back to work? She says, yeah, 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 I think you're good. And then I just slip back into the <laughs> ring and we go back to business. But that's, that's, that's amazing. Essential. So that's what happened. I finished the match with three staples in my head. We finished the match. We wow. went back. We cleaned it up and there was full 14 staples in there the next day. Uh, wow. That's, that's incredible, man. Uh, at WrestleMania, again, it, yeah. the, the whole thing feels a little less shocking and dramatic if it's a, a live event in Peoria. <laughs> but this yeah. is the freaking grandest stage of them all yeah. against Edge inside Hell in a Cell, man. Yeah, I really believe it was faith, you know, because something like that makes the match so much more memorable especially for me. And I, like, I got a huge scar on the top of my head now to remember it for the rest of my life. But, uh, but there was something, you know, you can plan things or hope for things or, you know, like think, Oh, it might go this way or it might go that way. That was something that like no one thought was ever going to happen. No one had like came up with this idea beforehand or shot this idea down. It was just like in the moment. And it was, you know, it was, I think it was just faith, you know? It says a lot about you guys, the experience as well that you had in that moment, considering what happened and then the match that played out afterward. You're probably grateful, are you, Finn, in a moment like that, that you have, you know, a decade plus of experience leading into that huge moment in WrestleMania? Two decades plus of experience, Kev. 
through. If you're going back to the hall in Bray, all the way back three, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, also very grateful to be in there with such a professional like Edge. Uh, you know, there wasn't at any moment where I thought like, oh no, like what are we going to do now? Are we going to have to adjust course? It was just pretty much like we just picked up right where we left off and, and, and got back to business. And uh, for me, it made it more special. It made it more memorable. Um, and uh, it's a match that I look back on very fondly. I want to talk to you about what we're seeing from Finn Balor now as a member of the Judgment Day on Monday Night Raw. We've seen the the helmet you wear for your entrance, different sort of gear. I know you're you fancy yourself a very creative guy. Um, where's your inspiration and influence come for for what we're seeing now? Comes from everywhere. Comes from movies. Comes from music videos. Comes from walking down the street. Uh, really just comes from like in here if i have like an idea i feel like i hold on to ideas and i can't like let them go or i can't stop thinking about them until i do it and it might even be obsessive compulsive disorder (laughs) 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 but but i feel like um even if it's a bad idea i have to do it before i can like erase it from my brain to move on to the next thing to come up with the next idea so it's like uh it's like a you know, I got all these ideas in like a holding pattern and like, you know, I got just got to get rid of them. So some of them are hits, some of them are misses. Um, but, you know, it's just part of the process and part of the learning and going out there and doing the same thing every night and wearing the same stuff kind of feels a little bit boring to me. And uh, I remember the first time I came up with the paint, one of my very best friends on earth, Carl Anderson, I, I confided him and said, hey, I'm thinking Tokyo Dome, Wrestle Kingdom. I'm thinking about like covering myself in paint head to toe. So I look like a shadow on the ring. And he like goes, you serious? <laughs> I, go, I go, yeah. And he goes, man, you're going to look stupid. <laughs> and I thought, well, here's my best friend. And he's like super honest. And he's telling me how he feels. But I still have this like feeling. And it's in my head. And I can't get it out of my head. So I just got to do it until I can move on. And it was supposed to be just like a one and done. And uh, it, it kind of evolved. So I try and never take other people's opinions uh, too strongly if I have a belief myself that I, I need to just do it and feel it and learn from it in a good way or a bad way and s- see how it goes two words you've mentioned so far Finn that have stuck out to me you mentioned being reinvigorated earlier on with the judgment day right now and you just said the word boring this is a grind this industry is 52 weeks a year Corey you and I talk about this all the time how important for that creativity is it to have something fresh, an outlook that keeps you invigorated, that keeps you motivated going forward? Like you said, it's it's relentless. It's every weekend. It's you know three, four nights a week, and to to try for me to try and make it feel different. That's my creative process, and that's you know changing the gear or wearing a different mask or like wearing my thinking hat today. Like it's just you need something different to almost like visually make different landmarks because if not it just blurs into one if i look at a photo and i go well that could either be five years ago or it could be five weeks ago but because i've kind of like changed the the visual presentation of finn like i can tell oh that was six weeks ago oh no that was six years ago when i was wearing that you know so i can kind of have a visual representation uh you know in my head so that that's kind of my, my approach to it. And it kind of gives me scrapbooking. <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> my wife's always amazed that like, uh, she'll like, ah, oh, when did we do that thing? You know? And I'll just go, ah, oh, well, hang on a sec. Da, 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 da. Oh yeah. I got it right there. She goes, how do you have everything organized yeah. in your phone so well? You know, how do you find it so quick? This is just whatever way I like process things like that. Finn, not to jump subjects on you, but I can see the look in KP's eyes in case you weren't aware Tomorrow, as this is released, Money in the Bank, you will challenge Seth freaking Rollins for the new World Heavyweight Championship. And we'll talk about Seth and the championship in just a moment. But before we get there, KP, could you remind me of where this event is taking place? I know this is something you feel very strongly about. Well, listen, we we sometimes mention London, Finn, like it's, you know, Birmingham, Alabama. Let's call a spade a spade here. This is the capital of Europe. This is accessible from anywhere across Europe. The WWE is massive everywhere around the world, as we know. But as a European, I feel I need to defend Europe a little bit when, you know, some people will say, well, we know it's in London, but it's money in the bank. And I say, I get that. But this is not Cardiff. This is London. 
You know, this is a big, big deal, right? Back me up here, Finn, will you? KP is going to get booed vociferously if he ever steps foot in Cardiff. It's like the third week in a row he's been like, it's not Cardiff. Or, or Birmingham, Alabama. Um, no, for, for me especially, uh, London has a special place in my heart. I started my training there back in 2000, just about wow, 25 miles outside of London in a suburb, uh, in a small wrestling gym. So, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time in and around London. It's been a huge part of my career. Uh, I spent 60 years there at the start of my career. I returned there with NXT uh, to face Samoa Joe for the first NXT takeover that was ever overseas. Um, returned there many times since then with WWE, but to return with a huge pay-per-view in a world title match, uh, you know, it's a big honor for me, obviously. But there's something special about performing in London. and. Uh, the crowd there, it's always rocking. They bring this kind of atmosphere that's similar to like a, a football match or Graves a soccer match, as you might refer to it. But, uh, you know, it's a very unique atmosphere. There's a lot of singing, a lot of chanting. And I'm sure there'll be an awful lot of Seth Rollins uh, song singing for sure. Uh, See, this is the fascinating but, um, dynamic. It, it's going to be an exciting night. I know. You just don't know which way it's going to go because... Which way is it going to go? Mm-hmm. It, yeah, like, obviously... I, I've been the heel through the story. Seth is, you know, the the baby face. Uh, but I have a history in London. You know, Seth has a history in London. It, it could go either way. And uh, that's, it's one of those things that, like, similar like WrestleMania with that moment that kind of, like, changed the, the memory of the match for everyone. The crowd is going to be a huge, hugely influential part in this match. And uh, that's something that you can't prepare for or predict. You just have to like feel in that moment. And then they are going to have a huge uh, part to play in this match, whether they realize it or not. What was it like for you being in the ring on a Monday night raw, uh, preparing to speak uh, about a potential, what it now is a world heavyweight championship match and having an arena full of people try to drown you out by singing Rollins' song. What did that feel like in that moment? I felt disrespected. Obviously, the fans are there. They they pay their money to, you know, have their voice heard. Uh, and they're entitled to that. But for me personally, after what I've gone through and lost over the last seven years at the hands of Seth Rollins, personally, I felt disrespected because I'd waited seven years to tell people and tell Seth, most importantly, how I felt. And for his supporters to just drown out what I had pent up in me for seven years was disrespectful. And that disrespect has now been turned into anger that I need to relieve by defeating Seth Rollins for the, not only for the, World Heavyweight Championship, but for vengeance over what he took from me. This is almost a mirror, a mirror image of of what happened seven years ago. It was then the Universal Championship, the first ever. Obviously, Seth has that distinction as far as the new World Heavyweight Championship, but it's still a title that needs to be established. And it's been openly referred to as a workhorse title. And I know how much pride you, as so many others do in the locker room, in being that workhorse. Why is now the time to rewrite history in Finn Balor's image? You know, a lot of people think that the issues between me and Seth lie in the fact that, you know, I got injured in the ring. Uh, and I, dre- I addressed this on Raw, um, that, you know, injuries happen. They're part of the business. And that doesn't really bother me. You know, I can injure myself. I can injure someone else. Someone can injure me. It's accidents happen. We move past that. The issues that I have with Seth come back to the very next night on Raw after I got hurt. Not when I got hurt, not how I got hurt, not why I got hurt, but the next night after I got hurt. I walk out on Raw after being champion for 22 hours, 16 years of work, down the drain to relinquish the championship to Mick Foley and Stephanie McMahon. As I'm at my lowest point, Seth Rollins' music hits. He walks out on stage, and what does he do? He laughs in my face. Laughs. Laughs out of spite, out of jealousy, out of envy. And when I'm at my lowest point, he rubs salt in the wounds. And that is something 
that I can't forget. That is something that I won't let go of. And that is something that I need to extract vengeance for. And I've waited seven years for the timing to be perfect. Because now there is another new title. And now Seth is the champion. And now I can take from Seth what he took from me. Makes a lot of sense, KP. Is that why you attacked several times Seth Rollins on Raw, trying to make sure that he doesn't have an open challenge, he doesn't have any more World Heavyweight Championship matches, so you do get that match against him and not someone else? Yeah, it's very simple. I want to take from Seth what he took from me. I don't want to take it from Miz. I don't want to take it from Braun Breaker. I want to take it from Seth. And I'm not here to talk people into the building or talk people into watching Money in the Bank. I'm here to tell you that this is personal and I don't care if nobody sees it. The only thing I care about is beating Seth and taking back from him what he's taken from me over the last seven years. He's taken opportunities. He's taken WrestleMania moments. He's taken merchandise deals. He's taken everything. And I've waited seven years. I'm going to take it all back in London, where I started my career 22 years ago. If somehow you're able to compartmentalize your emotions and the feelings you have going into this matchup from a wrestling perspective to a wrestling fan, those of us listening, uh, myself and KP included, what can the WWE universe expect as far as the match goes? at Money in the Bank, on a big stage, one of our premier events in London. We already talked about the atmosphere. Now we've got Finn Balor, who by your own admittance is is feeling better than you have in some time. You feel most like yourself. And you've got Rollins, who's firing on all cylinders right now. What can the fans expect from a matchup perspective? I feel like the fans, when they hear the names Finn Balor and Seth Rollins announced in the same match, they expect uh, a classic, an instant classic uh, Steamboat versus Savage, uh, you know, a competitive 50-50 match with fought with honor and respect. They're not going to get that. This is going to be a fight. This is going to be brutal. This is going to be violence. And this is going to be a different Finn that they have ever seen. Seth says he wants the Finn that beat him seven years ago one arm. He's not getting that. He's getting a whole lot worse. Because this is seven years of anger. This is seven years of frustration. This is seven years of agony. And you know the old expression the seven year itch? Well this is going to be a seven year bitch for Seth Rollins. Sounds to me, KP, like Mr. Balor is locked in, focused, and loaded with the heavy artillery for tomorrow in London. You know, forgive me, gents. I thought when I heard Seth freaking Rollins say, welcome back, this is the Finn Balor that I wanted. I thought that maybe he'd be living inside your head as we approach London in the O2 Arena tomorrow, but it could very well be the other way around here. Finn, before we let you go, we appreciate your time and sitting down with us as always. Let's say the match at Money in the Bank goes your way in the favor of Finn Balor. The World Heavyweight Championship is now Finn's property alongside the Judgment Day. What does WWE look like in the immediate future of a Finn Balor World Championship reign? The WWE is going to look a lot different after Money in the Bank because not only will I be World Heavyweight Champion, Damian will be Mr. Money in the Bank, Rhea will be the Women's Champion, and Dominic will have defeated everybody's favorite, Cody Rhodes. And the Judgment Day will be standing strong. And as Rhea says, the Judgment Day will run Monday Night Raw. And I think beyond WWE, I think the argument's there. Corey, you brought it forward on Monday Night Raw recently that the Judgment Day now, possibly the most dominant faction. The bloodline's in shambles, man. There's a civil war at Money in the Bank between the bloodline, the Judgment Day as a 
standalone faction, uh, it's hard to argue with, championships or not. Finn, good luck to you in your World Heavyweight Championship match. We will all be watching on, excitedly waiting for this. Listen, I know you said it's not going to be. I'm fully expecting a classic. No pressure. I'm just telling you, I know what you're capable of. I know what Rollins is capable of. I know what London wants to see. Uh, I cannot wait. Thank you. You are always welcome here on After the Bell. And uh, good luck to you tomorrow. Gents, always a pleasure. Legend fan. Pleasure's all ours. You make sure you're following us at After the Bell WWE on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find me at WWE Graves. You can find KP at Kev underscore Egan Finn. Where can the ATB faithful find you on social media? Uh, at Finn Balor, pretty much on everything. Instagram, Twitter. I think there's a Facebook that I don't have any control over, but... You're not doing the old TikTok that's, these that's, days, no? Uh, I do have a TikTok, but uh, I also have a life, so I don't bother with that. You should crap. let you should let Rhea Ripley. Nah, she no, knows what she's it. doing. No argument, KP. That was the, that was the best. I don't waste time with it. I have a life. <laughs> well, well, hopefully you don't have as much of a life as Finn does. So you can listen for free <laughs> wherever you get your podcast. Just search after the bell and hit the follow button so you never miss an episode. Full episodes of ATB are available on the official WWE YouTube channel each and every Monday. And of course, we'll be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, potentially a new world heavyweight champion, and more WWE after the bell.